Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kieran Mulvaney and uh, Eric, it's been an eventful week here in the Vermont studio of the podcast. Uh, last Tuesday morning, I think, my friend Sarah Jean, who you've met, uh, said she thought she was coming down with something. I gave her a nice, you know, kind of, oh, I'm sorry, hug. Mm-hmm. And she said... Wow, even that hug kind of hurts, at which point I probably backed away, (laughs) suggested she do a COVID test and boom, yeah, like that positive line came up almost immediately. So she has spent the week isolating in my guest room and we tried to deal with it as best we could. You know, I only have one bathroom in the house, which makes it a little tricky, but, you know, she'd mask up when she came downstairs and she would kind of like yell like unclean as she approached. So I knew she was coming and I could move out the way all through the week. No signs, no symptoms myself tested negative and you know why i deduced that was eric why you thought you avoided getting yep. covid uh yep. i guess you were chalking it up to being as vaxxed and boosted as one can be nope i had in fact deduced that i am invincible immortal <laughs> if you will and uh, i was all set to prove it by snacking on some tide pods and playing my favorite game of let's jump off the roof when yesterday I too began to feel a little run down, and this morning I dutifully did a self-test, and to quote a friend of ours, it happened. <laughs> it happened. COVID is not my bitch. I am not invincible. Uh, I am, in fact, COVID's bitch. Yes, I guess so. Oh, that sucks. Uh, well, it comes for us all, Kieran. Uh, even even with Willie Pep's defense, you, you can't slip this <laughs> thing forever. Um, so, sorry to hear it got you, uh, but uh, hopefully your symptoms... Uh, are mild, continue to be mild. At least you can go through the whole thing without masking and you know staying in separate parts of the house anymore. Right. Uh, you know, just right. don't don't leave the house uh, for a while. But uh, otherwise, there's nobody you need to protect. But uh, you know, thankfully, you are vaccinated and boosted and yes. not elderly. Uh, you're close to elderly, but you're not quite there. Um, so so hopefully this doesn't slow you down too much. And uh, you know, I, I know that you're not a QAnon influencer who refuses to get vaccinated, so so that's good. Um, and and I guess now you know that you're not an immortal. So uh, you know you know not to jump off the roof, or uh, you know right. you know to use Tide Pods only to clean your clothes. Uh, do follow follow that sort of thinking, and you should be fine, I guess. It's been a pretty wild mood swing week, I can tell you, from thinking <laughs> you're immortal to like being struck with COVID. I right. tell you, well, had to do a little bit of. Uh... Uh, self-analysis really through all of that but there you go got nothing else to do over the next couple of days because i'll probably be in bed right honestly i kind of want to be in bed now <laughs> to tell you the truth but ah well we'll persevere yes let's let's get through the podcast as quickly as we can and then you can just climb into bed that sounds splendid uh and we do have uh, a great show coming up with a great guest uh undefeated welterweight Duran boots ennis joins us uh i will run down my list of the top five ring enterers and i will challenge eric with another edition of the fight game uh, we have some news to catch up on including the announcement of some great fights uh, the boxing writers awards and the sad passing of former heavyweight titleist jerry kutsia but first this friday sees the 2023 debut of showbox the new generation and in typical showbox style it is a triple header featuring six undefeated prospects eric the card is taking place just down the road from you in bethlehem pennsylvania i no, it's yes. not Bethlehem now. Yes, Bethlehem. yes. And you will indeed be there. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I do listen. <laughs> um, you you will be there. Uh, so let us know what we have to look forward to. 
Yeah, I will indeed be there in person. Really looking forward to this one, uh, as I think all three televised fights have the potential to be competitive and compelling. In the opening bout, we have eight rounds of lightweight action featuring Julian Gifted Gonzalez, who is 8-0-1 with eight KOs, against Rosalindo Morales, 9-0 with two knockouts. That'll be followed by a pair of light heavyweights, also an eight-rounder, as Artem Brusov, 12-0 with 11 stoppages, takes on Atif Lord Pretty Calvo Oberton, who is 7-0 with six knockouts. And the main event is in the super middleweight division, once again, scheduled for eight. New Orleans' silky Sean Hempel, 14-0 with eight KOs, facing off against David Dynamite Stevens, 11-0, also with eight KOs, a local Reading, Pennsylvania product. Uh, we'll talk about the main event shortly, but first, Kieran, the undercard. Uh, among these two fights, who or what are you most looking forward to seeing? I'm quite looking forward to what looks like a real meeting of opposites in many ways in the opening bout. Um, Julian Gonzalez, as you mentioned, has had eight wins, six by first round knockout, two by second round knockout. Um, and he's racked up his record of 8-0-1 in a little over 18 months after turning pro in June 2021. Uh, Rosalinda Morales, in contrast, has just two, two stoppages in his nine wins. And despite having the same number of contests as Gonzalez, he's 28 uh, to Gonzalez's 21. And he turned pro in 2018 after a solid amateur career that included success in the 2016 Pennsylvania Golden Gloves. Um, there's a cool story with Morales. Uh, his mom uh, took him and uh, left uh, Rosalindo's father uh, in Texas back when Rosalindo was 10. Uh, they'd made it as far as Tennessee when their car broke down. Uh, in the pouring rain, they pushed it to a gas station where they bumped into a stranger who said he would pay for their car to get repaired because they had no money at all. And he said, you have to stay with me and my wife for a couple of days until it's all fixed. And they did. And he sent them on their way. And uh, all these years, they've, they've lost contact with him, didn't know how to get a hold of him. He finally tracked him down just last month. The guy's name is Alan Smith, and he will be ringside on Friday, which I think is a very cool little story. Wow. Yeah, I love that. Um, so how about you? What else are you looking forward to on the undercard? Well, maybe this is the obvious choice for me to focus on, Philly Southpaw that I am. Uh, but I'm going with the Philly Southpaw in the light heavyweight bout. <laughs> Atif Oberton, really interesting person, interesting fighter, seems to have some real potential. The first thing that stands out about Oberton is that he has a female trainer. Uh, you don't see that too often. Mm. Can't think of any high-profile examples of a male fighter with a female coach since, of course, James Kirkland and Ann Wolfe. Uh, Atif is trained by Sharon Baker. She got into boxing at Joe Frazier's gym in the 70s. She's been training Oberlton since his amateur days. Makes for a unique side story there. Uh, also, his nickname, Lord Pretty Calvo. Apparently, it's a reference to rapper ASAP Rocky. Uh, you'll be unsurprised to learn that that reference went right over my head. Uh, but uh, but Calvo, that part, that's Spanish for bald. Uh, so Oberlton is having some fun with the fact that his dome is as shiny as they I come. Um, this creative nickname of his, it stands in contrast to his opponent, Artem Brusov of Russia, who was asked if he has a nickname, and he responded, I never use nickname. <laughs> I, I'm going to guess his favorite food is meat. Seems, seems, <laughs> seems like that would be a good fit for him. Uh, anyway, as a fighter, Oberton has a tremendous amateur background, almost made the 2020 U.S. Olympic team. I watched a few of his fights, and the first thing that stands out is his height and length. He's six foot three. He can fight long, but also seems more than willing to trade and go inside. He knocked out Jasper McCargo a couple of fights ago with a brutal left hand to the pit of the stomach. Body punching appears his best attribute from what I've seen, but also... 
He has a good southpaw jab. He's light on his feet. I really think he could be going places. But, you know, of course, through seven fights, he's untested. He, he did beat a guy who was 11-0 his last time out. But certainly Brusov appears a step up for him. So we'll see how he does. Uh, if he wins this one with room to spare, he becomes a prospect to watch at 175 pounds. Uh, okay, that brings us to the main event. So uh, let's take a look at each fighter. Uh, Kieran, first, give us the scoop on David Dynamite Stevens. Uh, so David Dynamite Stevens, he's 22 years old. Uh, he's been a pro for four years. Uh, got off to a little bit of a slow start, obviously, COVID not being the ideal time to turn pro. Um, but he's been making up for lost time since then. He had five fights in 2021 and three last year. He would have fought more in 2022. He was actually supposed to fight Hemphill on Showbox in October, but Hemphill was injured and withdrew. Uh, he fights out of Reading, Pennsylvania. And he's trained by our buddy Ronnie Shields. Um, he's 11-0 with eight KOs. He's been the full six rounds in a fight once, but he has not been beyond that. And he is, as his record and his nickname suggest, an aggressive power puncher. Shields calls him a come and get you type of fighter. He can punch with both hands. And based on the video that I've seen of him, and we'll talk a little bit more about that when we make our picks, that seems pretty accurate. Um, in the other corner... Silky Sean Hemphill. Uh, that sounds like he's quite the opposite kind of fighter. What can you tell us about him, Eric? Yeah, he kind of is. Uh, he, he's 27 years old, so he's five years older than Stevens. Got a slightly late start turning pro. Uh, he's trained by both his father and by Buddy McGirt. So solid counter there to Stevens having Ronnie Shields in his corner. Uh, he was not very active in 2022, uh, but that wasn't by design. He only fought once last year, a full 12 months ago. He also had two showbox fights scheduled. Yet first he had to pull out of one with a rib injury, and then the one you you mentioned he was scheduled to fight Stevens, but had to pull out of that with an ankle injury. Um, so you know, knocking wood that he makes it to fight night on Friday. Um, but yeah, he's the boxer in this matchup. He describes himself as a boxer puncher, but I'd put a little more emphasis on the boxer side mm. from the fights I've seen. He did struggle two fights ago against club fighter Robert Burwell in Philly. Bit of a red flag there, perhaps, as he got hurt a bit early and the fight was close before he rallied for a seventh round stoppage. He's been knocked down twice as a pro. Uh, one of them, apparently, reportedly, I couldn't find any video to support this, but supposedly a double knockdown against Dominique Moore. Hmm. Um, and then one other notable name on his record, Javante Davis. Uh, not Gervonta Davis, G-E-R-V-O-N-T-A, but rather G-E-V-O-N-T-E Davis, a 4-9-1 super middleweight from Mississippi. Um, and, and last note on him, his girlfriend is Chelsea Hayes, who competed in the long jump in the 2012 Olympics in London. And Hempel said he expects her to be at the fight Friday and, quote, you're going to hear her. You're going oh. to know she's there. <laughs> uh, just like me. You know, I'm going to be there and you're going to hear me. You're going to know I'm there. Uh, or maybe not. Maybe I'll sit in the corner and talk to no one. Anyway, it is time to make our picks. Uh, our competition uh, early in the year here is all tied up. Six points apiece. As always, with Showbox, we'll only pick the main event. So, Kieran, who you got in Hemphill versus Stevens? So, to some extent, as we as we always preface these, these Showbox picks are to some extent shots in the dark a uh, yeah. little bit less with this one as there's a bit more video of both these guys than is sometimes the case um one thing i did feel from watching them is that despite being so early in their pro careers both guys look pretty good actually um or and here's where the difficulty in picking comes in they look pretty good up against the opposition they've been facing yes. so far um 
And obviously that's partly a consequence of that opposition and the fact that both have pretty decent amateur careers and they both have very good trainers. Uh, yeah, looking at them, as we, as we kind of talked about it, they certainly do appear to live up to their respective nicknames. Um, you know, it's funny that that you that he calls himself a boxer puncher, Hemphill. Uh, you felt he's more of a boxer. Boxer puncher was the very note that I actually made from watching okay. his videos. Um, I do note that he does a very good job of making sure he's always in a position to punch. He doesn't seem to overstretch or overreach himself. He pivots nicely, throws his punches nice and straight. Um, Stevens is indeed heavy-handed, but although he sometimes will launch an overly ambitious right hand that goes sailing through the air, he seems to be pretty solid and patient in the way he sets up his attacks. Even when he hurts a guy, he doesn't, he doesn't get carried away. Um, he does look like he likes to get pretty close, keep his punches straight, work behind the jab, um, the two things that give me slight pause are on the hemp hill side. Um, that lack of activity because yeah. of injury, that can make a big difference with so few fights, especially with Stevens having been so active. And Hempel carries his hands a little low for my liking. Um, I can see Stevens getting through with some of his power punches. I, I think it might be close. I think Hempel might lead on points early on as, as Stevens maybe tries to cut off the ring and track him down. But I kind of see Stevens making up for lost ground as the fight goes on and eventually uh, outworking a tiring Hempel down the stretch. I don't know if he'll stop him. I'll pick uh, Stevens by unanimous decision. Okay. Um, yeah, this is a tough one for the reasons you said. I mean, I, I like what I've seen out of Stevens more. Uh, he has that punching power. He he jumps off the screen a little more than Hemphill does. Mm. So he looks like the guy with higher upside to me. But coming back to your key point about both of these guys, uh, Teddy Atlas impression time against two against two. <laughs> I mean, it's it's really the case for, for Stevens. Not that Hemphill has faced top opposition either, but Stevens' opposition has been real bad. In uh, 2021 and 2022, he faced three guys in a row with double-digit losses. So this is a big step up for him, as Showbox debuts tend to be for most fighters. He looks good from what I've seen, but takes a little bit of a leap of faith to pick him to win, but I guess it would take a leap of faith to pick Hemphill too. So um, I'm going to trust in what my eyes tell me and in his power and in the fact that Hemphill has been knocked down and hurt a few times. We have the same winner pick, but I will go with uh, a late stoppage. I'll go with uh, Dynamite Stevens by KO in round seven. All right. Okay. Uh, let's turn now to this week's guest. And as advertised, it's a great one. Uh, he's almost certainly the most highly touted contender in the sport today. Uh, at the age of 25, he has a professional record of 30-0 with 27 KOs. And he maintained his unbeaten record last Saturday when he outpointed Karin Trakatsian 120-108 across the board. He is, of course, Philadelphia's own Jerron Boots Ennis. Boots, welcome back to the Showtime Boxing Podcast. Oh, what's going on? I appreciate you guys for having me. Yeah, we appreciate you joining us. Uh, so so that fight that Kieran just mentioned last weekend against Chikajin, that was the first time uh, that you've gone 12 rounds. In fact, it was the first time you've gone past six rounds. How did you feel going the full 12? And when all was said and done, how did you feel about the way you performed? Uh, I felt great. You know, I feel like I could have did another 12 rounds, you know, and I feel like that was uh, the best. That was the best thing that happened for me, you know, uh, going to 12 rounds. You know, uh, it was fun. You know, how how frustrating was just your opponent's approach? Like it, it seemed like he was trying to win the first half of the fight, but by the second half, he was just trying to last the distance. Did did you find it frustrating? No, I, I, I wasn't frustrated at all. I just was, uh, I caught myself like getting bored. 
you know, mm. like from the from like the fourth round to like the sixth round. I just caught myself getting bored. I had to just, you know, tell myself that I get bored. And then that's why I started picking it up more, you know, uh, just having having fun. That's all, you know, uh, just find different different things to do. You know, he was, he, I, 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 tip, I tipped my head off. So he came out, you know, he did, he was in, he was in shape. You know, he uh, did a good job. You know, he was moving a lot and things like that. Uh, it was good. Is, is there anything just sort of putting a critical eye on, on your own performance? Is there anything you wish you'd done a little differently uh, that, that might have given you a better chance of getting them out of there? Um, Just, I didn't watch the tape yet, but from what I remember, just, just me just cutting the ring off a little bit more. You know, I was jabbing a lot, but just doubling and tripling my jab to get close in range and, you know, uh, and just getting a little closer and a, lot, a little bit more body work. I feel, I feel like I should have started the body work a little earlier, and uh, I probably would have got him out of there. But, um, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, I I feel like he just came to, to say that he didn't get knocked out, you know, and things like that, like, to survive. And he did a good job with that, you know. And I feel like he he would fight somebody else different. Like, he wouldn't fight them like how you for me. He just he go forward and, and do what he they normally do, I guess. You know, how important was it for you to, to do this, to go 12 rounds, especially because you only fought two rounds last year. You've been unlike you. You've been so inactive lately. It was great. You know, uh, like I said before, it was the best thing to happen for me. You know, I, it was a wonderful thing to go 12 rounds. You know, like I said before, I could have been another 12. And, and I feel like I was, in, I was in the best shape in my life. You know, uh, I wasn't being hard. I stayed up the whole time. You know, uh, just it was just great. It was a phenomenal experience, you know. It was wonderful. I, I feel like I needed it. Mm. And so you fought on January 7th. I guess we can hope that we're going to see more of you in the ring this year than we did last year, huh? Most definitely. You know, I only fought one time last year, two rounds, like you said. And this year, I'm going to try to go. I want to fight three times this year. So I want to at least get back in there by May or June, you know, uh, and then get one more out before the end of the year. If I can mm. get four in, in by the end of the year, that'd be, that'd be perfect. I, I just want to stay active, stay busy so I can stay sharp, you know, and things like that. You know, that probably once a year is no good for me, you know. Mm. Do you think there's also that plus side, like, first time you don't get somebody out of there in a, in a few rounds, other fighters might think, hey, maybe I can take this guy on after all. Maybe people will be more willing to fight you now. <laughs> That's good. That's what we want, you know. Uh, hopefully they <laughs> hopefully they, they do want to fight me now, you know. Uh, I'm saying, you know, that's, that's a wonderful thing. Like I said before, that was, that was the best thing that happened to me. I'm just, I'm happy I, I did the 12, you know. I, I see a lot of things and, you know, everybody talking and all that, but they don't even know. <laughs> they, don't even, they don't understand. <laughs> right. Um, you're in a, a division with a lot of talent at the top and, and the, the top of this welterweight division has been in something of a holding pattern waiting for the Spence Crawford situation to sort itself out. Um, so, so let me get your thoughts on, on that situation specifically. How, how surprised were you when their negotiations fell apart and, do you think that that fight will happen eventually? Uh, when the, the negotiations fell apart, you know, uh, I was shocked because I, I really thought they was going to be, be able to fight each other, you know, last year at the end of the year. And it was definitely holding up the World Trade Division. You know, it was holding me up, you know, and the rest of the other guys too. So, you know, uh, I mean, but it is what it is, you know. If they do fight, I think they're going to fight at like 54. I don't think they're going to fight at 47. Are you finding it frustrating the way that uh, sort of your ascent and and just really everything in the division is kind of waiting on on those two to sort out their business? Yeah, I, I, I mean, not frustrating, but they, they is holding it up, you know, and I feel like 
everybody want to fight them because they got the belts. You know, all the young guys and, and everybody that's right there, they want to fight Earl Spence and Bud because they got the belts. And if they don't fight each other, you might as well leave or fight one of us, you know, and, and that's that's too easy. So it is kind of, you could say it's frustrating a little bit, but, I mean, at the end of the day, you got to be patient. It's going to be what it's going to be. Put you on the spot a little bit here, Boots. Um, if you had a choice, which of the two would you rather fight and why? Like, is one of them a little bit better for you style-wise, or is there one guy you might have your eye on a little bit more than the other? I mean, I'd rather fight both. It don't really matter to me, either one. You know, uh, I really don't care. Uh, they both, both two great fighters, but I just want to make my mark and show the world that I'm the best in the division, and not only the division, in the world, too. So either one, it don't matter if it's Bo or Spence, but, you know, either one. Do you, what do you think it's like if you were, say the fight happened and you were on as an analyst and they were saying, okay, break this fight down for us. What do you think is like the, the, the biggest advantage that each guy would take into that matchup? Like them two fighting each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like, I feel like Spence would have to catch a in between shots. And, and I feel like, I feel like, but we had to outwork Spence. Like they can't mm. like let him fight his pace. And you got any go any way that would jam him. So so when when Kieran asked you which of the two you'd rather fight and you uh you know played it down the middle and said both, it reminds me that uh long before you were born, George Foreman fought five guys in one night. Uh when you say both, well, <laughs> how do you think you would do uh maybe maybe Crawford and Spence on the same night? Or or is that even that maybe a little too much uh, to ask even of Boots Ennis? No, it's not too much. You know, I'd take him over one night if I could, you know, so I could be undisputed. That's the goal. You know, I want to be a legend, so that's the goal. If I got to do it in one night and fight both of them, I'd do it and come, right. and come home undisputed. There you go. All right. Well, well, speaking of that, I mean, you you get talked about in the kind of terms that only generational talents are talked about. People in boxing they don't just see you as like the next great welterweight champ. They talk about you uh, as, as an all-time welterweight in the making. People are predicting you'll be pound for pound number one. How do you feel when you hear that sort of talk about you? Uh, I mean, I feel great. You know, uh, like I said before, the, 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 we just getting started, you know, and, uh, and the job not done. You know, uh, it's time to keep, you know, working, keep being better, keep progressing, you know, things like that. But it's definitely a blessing, you know, had to, even had the legends talk about me like Roy Jones and Floyd and, and things like that, talking about me and things, you know, it's a blessing, you know, it's more motivation to, uh, you know, to me. So you, you let it inspire you. It isn't a thing where you let it put extra pressure on you hearing that sort of stuff. No, nah, with, with this boxing game, you can't let, you know, uh, things get to you. You just gotta just be you, you know, and with, with me, I just, like I said before, I just had fun with everything, you know, and then that's, that's how you get around things. We uh we had Stephen Jackson on the podcast last week, and he had great things to say about you, about your dad, about your whole setup. And I, and I know that you guys, um, you know, have have had a, like a pre-existing relationship. Talk to us a little bit um, from your perspective about about Stephen Jackson, and and how was it to have him uh, in your in your gym filming you and doing that whole fight towns thing? Uh, Stephen Stephen Jackson, that's my guy. You know, he's a great guy. You know. Uh... He, he wonderful, you know, it was it was great doing that, you know, that episode of the fight town, you know, I was showing around, you know, Philly a little bit. Uh, I took him to, to one of my brother's spots to get some food, good eats and things like that. It was just, I don't know, he just, we just meshed well together, you know, kind of like family, like kind of like a big brother, you know, and uh, things like that. So 
I don't know. We just, you know, we just mesh real well. Mm. You know? It's, it's mm. a blessing that, you know, have, have, have you know, uh, a legend, you know, you know, be around and things like that and, and, you know, talk to me and things like that. So it's great. It's probably great, right, also to have somebody who, in his sport, he's been to the top, right? Like, you can, like, relate to each other in a way that, it, you know, you can't with, like, other media members, and they can, he can relate to you. Just to have somebody else who's been there at the top as a pro athlete's got to be good. Yeah, definitely. He, I about to say, he's been there before he won championships before, so he, he know what it feel like to, to win. You know, you know, you know, you know what it's like, you know, and like I said before, it's a blessing to have him around. You know, even when you're just talking to me and, and telling me things and things, different things like that, you know, it's just great. How did the ring walk happen? He walked you to the to the ring on, on Saturday. Was that something you guys had planned for a while or was it kind of spontaneous that you just asked him? Uh, I, I asked him on the, uh, the day before uh, the fight on the weigh-in, but I, we been knew we were going to do that. Uh, me and uh, Richie Rose, we, uh, we set that up, you know, um, and we just didn't never tell him. We just kept oh, okay. it between us. All right. <laughs> As, as long as we're talking about basketball, I got to take a detour for one second. I'm I'm from Philly, although not not uh, not the part of Philly you're from. I'm from out in these uh, weak, soft suburbs out here. But uh, but I am a Sixers fan. Are are, are the Sixers your team? Uh, you know, I, I rock all the Philadelphia team. You know, I, okay. I was just at the Eagles game. You know, after after the fight on Saturday, I was at the Eagles game. I brought my belt to the Eagles game, and he threw me on a, a jumbotron and things like that. And uh, I, I think I'm about to ring the bell again. Uh, for the Sixers sometime next week. So it just, I, you know, I always support the Sixers and, and the guys that's on the, on the team. You know, I've been talking to a few guys that's on the Sixers team and a few guys that's on the, the Eagles. You know, it's, it's a blessing, you know, to be, a, be able to do things like that. Can I put you on the spot then with a prediction for uh, how this Eagles playoff run is going to end? Uh, do, do you see a Super Bowl uh, in our future? I definitely see a Super Bowl. I think it's going to be the, the Bills and the Eagles in the Super Bowl. Okay. All right. With With the Eagles prevailing, of course. Yeah, <laughs> I think the Eagles will get get their second ring this year. All right, uh, all right. La- last thing here, let's look ahead uh, a bit. Not just one fight or one year, but let's go five years out from now. What does the twenty-five-year-old boots think life will be like for the thirty-year-old boots? Thirty-year-old uh, boots will be, you know, well, well loved. You know, uh, well, you know, wealthy. You know. Uh, I feel like I'd be like a three-time uh, weight division champ. I'd probably be fighting at 160, you know, just being a legend, you know, still undefeated and, and, and putting on, you know, and, and uh, bringing up the, you know, the up-and-coming guys and things like that, start my own promotion, things like that. It's a bunch of different things, you know, I, I got uh, lined up. So in five years, I, I'm going to be be perfect, you know, be be where I, where I need to be. Okay. And, and in five years, your dad will be 72. Will he still be in fighting shape? Yeah, my dad will be in fighting shape still. He's probably gonna be like that forever. You know, he <laughs> he running, working out, sparring, doing everything. He just he he stay active, and and I'm glad to have him around. You know, look, thanks so much for taking a little bit of time out. It's great to talk to you. Uh, congratulations on your win last week. Really looking forward to seeing you in the ring more this year, and uh, looking forward to seeing where your path takes you, buddy. Uh, thank you. Appreciate you guys for having me. You know, you awesome. bet. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much, Bits.
That was great of Boots to take some time out yeah. to talk with us. Uh, I don't know about you, but I always get a special kick out of talking with a young fighter who you figure is actually going to be somebody really special further down the line, you know, and you can we can be doing that. Oh, yes, we interviewed him back when he was just a pup and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I like I like to sometimes uh, keep the Zoom videos from those saved just in oh, case cool. uh, the guy becomes a legend. You know, I can show people, hey, here's me talking to Boots Ennis. So, yeah. that's, that's a cool idea. All right, it's time for the fight game in which one of us selects a random fight and gives the other five clues in ascending order of easiness from extraordinarily opaque to here let me draw you a sketch uh, <laughs> and the other one tries to guess what fight he's talking about this week's is an interesting one it's one of those i think it might befuddle you or you might get it really soon so okay. here we go are you ready sir i am ready this was the first of two fights between these two fighters that took place 10 years apart Ooh. okay so I immediately think of uh, this is far more than 10 years apart. The first thing that came to mind is Jones and Hopkins, but that was something like 18 years apart or close to it or 16, maybe uh, definitely more than 10. So it's not that. So can I, before you give me the second clue, think of two fighters who fought twice, 10 years apart, and nothing is coming quickly to mind so why don't we move on to clue number two it was not jones and hopkins i assume correct okay then uh, yeah give me the second clue i will not lodge an official guess off clue one the winner a future hall of famer was an overwhelming favorite but the loser put up a better effort than many expected okay so the guy who won was a huge favorite uh and a future hall of famer but he had a tough fight, a tough enough fight that 10 years later, it made sense to do it again. Hmm. I feel like this is at this point potentially guessable if I, if I get my mind, if I can stumble upon the, the right guys who fought each other twice, 10 years apart, one of them a Hall of Favor. I'm sort of assuming based on the way you set that up that they aren't both Hall of Famers. You don't have to tell me, uh, mm -hmm. though. You you can if you want. You can tell me whether yep. I'm one correct. of them is a Hall of Famer. One of them will never be in the Hall of Fame. Okay. All right. So, but they fought ten years apart. I feel like this is now one of those where if you happen to give me like the years of their two fights, I'd probably right. nail it. Um, but it's, I'm not quite thinking of it. It's not like, you know, I'm thinking like Ali and Floyd Patterson fought twice. Not quite. 10 years apart, but sort of early Ali and late Ali, but they're both Hall of Famers, so it wouldn't be anyone like that. Um, did Oscar fight anyone twice 10 years apart? We've already done an Oscar one not that long ago. Would you go back to that well? All right, I've stalled long enough. I don't have a good guess. Let's go to clue three. 10 years later, the result was reversed in what was the final fight for both combatants and you wrote a preview of it for ESPN. Ooh. Final fight for both. I previewed it for ESPN. So I was I first started writing columns for ESPN in I want to say 2008 and then mm -hmm. only did that column for a couple of years but still kind of came and went occasionally writing more stuff for them so but it would be somewhere in that time frame of 2008 to the mid 2010s perhaps what fights did i preview the result was reversed 
And so the second fight you said was the final fight for both. Hmm. You've made an assumption in some of the stuff you've been working through that I really want to correct. <laughs> okay, let's see. What assumption did I make? Uh, I mean, now I have the time frame again. So that it's uh, if I wrote a preview, mm -hmm. is there is an assumption about the time frame in terms of when I was writing for ESPN? Is that what I've made a mistake on, or no? No. Okay. All right. So I am I am in the right time frame. So that would mean their first fight was give You're or take. Hate me. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Let me let me let me think here. Uh, I, I do I feel like I need to lodge a guess before uh, before you move on to clue four. So I'm just trying to think here. The first, if the second fight was somewhere around 2010, give or take a couple of years, then the first fight would be around 2000, give or take give or take a couple of years. Final fight for both. Trying to think like who did Chavez finish his career against someone he had fought 10 years earlier as a big favorite uh it, it, i feel like am, am i is it is it chavez is he the hall of famer no no okay you're gonna hate me i'm going to hate you huh yeah oh yeah yeah because you're not close <laughs> i'm not even close okay is it female fighters um, mm. oh he says mm. okay so uh, is it like Christy Martin, Lisa Holowine one? Is that what she ended her career on? A rematch with her? Much closer. Okay. Much so, closer now. Okay. Okay. So it's just who was Christy Martin's final fight against? Is that basically what I have to figure out? <laughs> is that, that's a yes. That was an, an mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Remember you wrote about it. I previewed Christy Martin's final you've fight. So many words about uh, yes, you did believe it or not. Wow. Yeah, and then you uh, you took it in a broader direction about about women's boxing generally, and huh. where it was where it was going to go. I, and now I'm I'm like remembering from the Christy Martin documentary, like she had a busted hand, and that's why and the 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 fight got stopped. But so it wasn't against her eventual partner. Lisa Holowine. It was somebody else that she had beaten as a big favorite a decade earlier. You are correct. And they fought again. And who the heck did she fight in 2000? Was it Mia St. John? Yeah, it was Mia St. Okay. <laughs> I never did need the fourth clue. I needed lots of uh, lots of guidance <laughs> off the third clue. But, uh, but uh, I guess technically I got it in three. We'll call it three and a half. Yes, there you go. And the other two... Number four is going to be that both have dealt with significant personal issues uh, in subsequent years, but have come to the other side. And the number five is going to be both were magazine cover stars, one on Sports Illustrated, one on Playboy. Oh, yes, that, that would have been a pretty strong uh, giveaway there, I guess. Uh, but yeah, that's interesting. It took me a little a little while to get outside of my um, my, uh, you know, pathetic male thinking of just assuming it was all going to be uh, male fighters. But eventually, eventually I got there and thought uh, slightly outside the obvious uh, with that. But that's a, that's a good I don't really have any recollection of uh, of their first fight. And I definitely don't remember previewing the rematch. We wrote a lot of stuff for ESPN then. We were churning yeah. it out. So, yeah, yeah, that sounds like something my, that whoever it was at Jason May was that maybe was the editor so at the time yeah. and probably was like hey can you write a preview of this yeah, and exactly. uh, i reluctantly said okay sure <laughs>
But but now I've come to love women's boxing. At the time, I probably was uh, had some degree of oh, really? You want me to preview? Well, actually, the piece was 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 good because it was talking about how you know at that point, and it was legitimate that women's boxing had become even more of a sideshow, really, than than it, at least there had been a period where there were some good good female boxers with Christy Martin and, right. and Layla Ali. But Layla had just retired. But you did mention you said here's the cool thing: seventeen-year-old Caressa Shields. Um, oh. just for the Olympics and there's a whole new wave of genuinely talented bo- female boxers coming um, and they did have a great turn of phrase in there something to the effect of like a lot of Mia St. John's success was built on some assets that were directly between her two fists or something I forgot the exact <laughs> turn of phrase that sounds good. like me it does sound like you doesn't it wow and I totally saw the future coming yeah I, yeah. I, I, I knew this the uh, Clarissa Shields would uh, start a revolution good for me you, you, you noted even well the, the only other really good female box we've had recently was Holly Holm and she had to turn to MMA which was very prescient right, so right. there you go it wasn't you know it was it was little you know it was all right all right, all right. I, I'm now now I'm curious when we're done recording to go uh, look up this uh, article that I have no recollection of writing and uh, give it a read and see see what I think of uh, 10 years ago me as a writer <laughs> Yes, indeed. All right, good stuff. Good change of pace there with uh, with the fight game. Uh, let's turn now to this week's news. And we begin with news of a couple of significant fights. Uh, neither has been officially announced, but one appears to be set, while the other is at least in the advanced discussion stage. The one that is apparently set seemed to come out of the blue, but it's a damn good one. Cool boy Steph Fulton is set to rematch Brandon Figueroa at the Armory in Minneapolis on Showtime Championship Boxing on February 25th. The bout comes 15 months after Fulton edged Figueroa by majority decision in a terrific contest. And the other big fight, possibly, that was reported on this week, Errol Spence against Keith Thurman. The word is it would be at 154 pounds in April on pay-per-view. Kieran, I imagine you have fairly contrasting thoughts about these two possible matchups. You are correct, sir. Um, I mean, let's take that first one first. And and as you mentioned, I, I'm not sure that it was one that anybody saw coming, right. honestly. Um, what had been written about Fulton and what he was going to do next seemed to be in terms of maybe unifying against Murajan Akhmedaliev or fighting Naoya Inouye, who is who's moving up to 122. But um, perhaps there's a weight issue for him or perhaps a Figueroa rematch was simply the best option for him because apparently this rematch is said to be at 126 pounds. Um, it all fits in, in a sense, with another Showtime fight taking place two weeks beforehand between Ray Vargas and Oshaki Foster. Vargas Foster is taking place at 130 pounds. Vargas holds a 126 pound belt. If he wins, you'll have to decide which belt to keep. If he abdicates the featherweight strap, it will be placed around the waist of the Fulton Figueroa winner. If he doesn't, he'll have to defend against that winner. Alpha belts don't matter much to you and me, but they sometimes do to boxers, and I'm sure this all probably played a little bit of a role in all of that. But I suspect that the bigger motivation for both Fulton and Figueroa is a sense of unfinished business here and bragging rights. Uh, Figueroa feels he was hard done by in the first fight and that he deserved the win. And... I think while you and I both disagree with that, we both acknowledge that it was very close and, and such a skillful contest that running it back is is the right thing to do. And and Fulton, I think I wouldn't be surprised if he's needled by the fact that Figueroa continues to throw shade on the biggest win of his yeah. career and suggest it was undeserved. I'm sure he wants the opportunity to, to beat him again and, and underline his, his superiority. Um, I suspect there are plenty of neutrals who'd be fine with uh, another good fight resulting in a Figueroa win in a third contest. But uh, let's not get ahead of ourselves, shall we? Right. Um, 
If there is a downside to it, it is that it is at 126 pounds, meaning that should Fulton win and stay there, um, we won't be getting that matchup with him and Noe Inoue, who this week officially vacated his bantamweight belts to campaign at 122 pounds. But maybe Inoue and Akmedaliev will meet at 122, which would be a pretty fine consolation prize. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you mentioned the weight class with Spence Thurman, too. Um, yeah, and as, as Boots just uh, just said in our interview, if, if Spence does move up to 154 for this contest, he doesn't think that Errol and Bud will happen, at least at 147. Um, Bud would have to decide that he wants to follow Spence up to junior middle. Um, isn't a surprise that Spence would be moving to 54? He's talked about it for a while. He's got a frame that can carry the weight. And he's been relatively inactive the last couple of years, which can't help him. But this fight... It's a weird thing, right? Because Thurman's perfectly decent. Actually, more than perfectly decent. He's been a really worthy titleist. He's been a really good competitor at 47. His only loss has been to an all-time great. He rebounded from that by looking pretty good over, uh, in beating Mario Barrios. But he's so inactive, Thurman. He has so many injuries that he's constantly battling. The Barrios fight was his first since losing to Pacquiao in 2019. And even at his best, it's difficult to see what Keith could have done to defeat Spence. And it's hard to see him doing that now. He's a very good boxer. He's fought plenty of the best. And so too has Spence. You can't begrudge either, man. But it's hard for me to get excited by it. I don't know about you. Yeah, I mean, I feel the same way. Uh, The thing I've said about Spence Thurman from the first moment it was floated months ago is that it would have more appeal in a vacuum, in a world in which we weren't right. just denied Spence Crawford. Yeah. And I think I also said at some point that it could be helped by an announcement before they step in the ring that if Spence beats Thurman, the Crawford fight will be next. But I really don't expect that to be the case, that they'll have that lined up in time. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, like you said, you know, Boots was talking about how... Uh, this kind of makes it harder to see Spence Crawford happening, certainly at, a, at 147. Now it would be more likely at 154. Trying to look glass half full, maybe this clears a path to Boots versus Bud. Uh, you know, right. if, if Spence yeah. is saying he can't make 147 anymore, maybe Bud will just stay at welterweight and move on from the Spence possibility and face Boots in a, a clash of two generations. I would be more than okay with that. Um, we'll see what happens, but... Uh, yeah, like, like you, I'm far more psyched about Fulton Figueroa, too. Had no idea this was in the works <laughs> until just a few hours before the reports. We yeah. were talking off the record to someone at Showtime who gave us a, a heads up. Uh, and then, lo and behold, it's getting uh, reported. We were psyched when we heard about it. How could you not love this fight? Yeah. Uh, a rematch to an outstanding close fight, and they've both looked good since. So, absolutely, I love it. Can't wait. All right. Uh, a couple other fights that have been either announced or in development. Uh, According to ESPN, Top Rank is planning a trio of contests to take us from March to April. Uh, March 25th, Jose Ramirez against Richard Comey at Super Lightweight. April 1st, Ravisi Ramirez against Isaac Dogbay at Featherweight. And on April 8th, Shakur Stevenson against Shuichiro Yoshino at Lightweight. And officially announced for February 18th, Lee Wood will defend his Featherweight strap against Mauricio Lara in Wood's hometown of Nottingham. Eric, what floats your boat there? Pretty much all of it. Uh, the boat is floating. Uh, not not a bad fight in the bunch. Not an easy fight in the bunch to pick a winner, except for Shakur Stevenson. But, right. you know, Yoshino isn't bad. He just has no prayer against Shakur Stevenson. Right. Uh, but the others, uh, I like Ramirez and Comey. Uh, not as much as we all would have liked Ramirez and Progre, but still, 
This is solid. Uh, the other Ramirez, Robisi Ramirez, him against yeah. Dog Bay. That's fantastic. Yeah, excellent crossroads clash there. And uh, Wood Lara. Lara is a bad man, so good yeah. for good for Lee Wood for stepping right in with him in his very next fight after the Conlon War. This feels like almost a true 50-50. I, I think I'm leaning Lara ever so slightly, mm. but... Uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm saying this a lot throughout this news segment so far, but uh, count me in. Sign me up for that one. Yeah. Uh, next news item. The Boxing Writers Association of America announced its annual awards. As expected, Dimitri Bivol wins Fighter of the Year, and the aforementioned Lee Wood is one half of the Fight of the Year following his dramatic 12th round stoppage of Michael Conlon. Our pal Derek James is the predictable and deserved trainer of the year. Peter Kahn is manager of the year. A couple more friends of ours, Ed Brophy and Lee Groves, win the Long and Meritorious Service and Good Guy Awards, respectively. Alexander Usyk and Vasily Lomachenko win the Courage Award. And Showtime's own David Dinkins Jr. scoops the Sam Taub Award for Excellence in Broadcast Journalism. Kieran, can't imagine there are too many holes to pick with uh, that group of awards. Correct. Uh, really not a great deal to say. Uh, our pick for Fight of the Year on the podcast was Katie Taylor, Amanda Serrano, but BWAA has separate awards for, for women's fighters, uh, and it's hard to quibble with Wood Collin anyway, isn't it? Um, uh, the rest all thoroughly deserves. Uh, as with, I think, anybody who knows them, I'm especially happy to see Ed and uh, Lee win their awards, mm-hmm. uh, and, especially, and also Usyk and Loma following on the heels of the Klitschko brothers who won that award last year. And special mention also for David Dinkins Jr., for whom being a guest on Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney may conceivably now be only his second greatest honor. <laughs> there you go. Um, I, I have very little to add. Uh, just I'll note that Wood Conlon was my pick for men's fight of the year. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I wish that BWA would make Taylor Serrano eligible for this particular yep. award, but whatever. All will be forgiven if the BWAA gives me a writing award this year. Um, and, and by the way, in, in submitting my one entry for a Bernie award, uh, since I barely write about boxing anymore, uh, mostly just podcast about it, but you know, column is the only category I've mm-hmm. entered anything in the last couple of years, but I submitted my one entry and I included a note basically saying, Hey guys, uh, I've been a boxing podcaster for 13 years now. Raskin and Mulvaney are dominating the boxing podcast space Maybe the BWA should get with the times and recognize a podcast of the year or a digital media show of the year I or something. I wholeheartedly agree, sir. Yeah, probably should have happened like five years ago, but you right. know, would be better late than never, unless they want to give us the Sam Taub Award next year. Sure. That would be acceptable also. That would, that would be acceptable. Yes, I would go with either of those scenarios. <laughs> okay. um, one significant fight to look forward to next Saturday as Liam Smith and Chris Eubank Jr. meet in a middleweight contest in Manchester, England. And a fight card to recap quickly. Uh, an ESPN heavyweight doubleheader from Turning Stone Resort and Casino on Saturday night. The main event saw F.A. Ajagba outpoint Stefan Shaw in an uneventful bout. Uh, the action in and out of the ring was really centered on the co-main, Eric. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll just touch quickly first on the main event. There's not a whole lot to say about it. The Ajagba-Shaw fight was a sterling example to me of why sports betting is good for sports viewership because <laughs> this was a dull fight, but not if you had a wager on Ajagba by decision at plus 360 odds. Uh, so uh, good for Ajagba for, for sticking with his jab all night and bad job by Shaw not making him do anything more than jab. Uh, and the judges got it right. But uh, yeah, the far more interesting fight on that card was the co-feature between Johnny Rice and Guido Vianello. Uh, fascinating ending. It was stopped in the seventh on a bad cut above Vianello's eye. It was clear to everyone watching that the cut was caused by a big right hand. Uh, 
everyone except referee Benji Estevez. And it's not crazy that without the benefit of replay, Mm -hmm. Estevez would have missed it. I mean, he couldn't have not seen that punch. It was a big, obvious punch, but it is conceivable that he didn't see the cut until a bit later. And based on how the cut looked, I totally get assuming that a clash of heads must have caused it. It was huge and gross and didn't look like it was caused by a punch. Uh, Carl Moretti from Top Rank did a great job informing Estevez Look, the the replays show it clearly was from a punch. I need you to know that. See if you can figure out how to do the right thing. So so Benji talked it over with the Tribal Commission representative. They don't have replay in effect there at uh, Turning Stone, uh, but uh, they agreed, uh, you know, we don't have this rule allowing replay, but let's make up rules on the fly. Uh, it's a slippery slope, but... Yeah. If everyone's goal is to get the call right, then I say go for it. And Estevez watched the replay, and that was that. They got it right. Now, it was very unlucky for Vianello. He was winning the fight. Mm. He'd gotten unlucky to get cut the way he did against a guy that he was out fighting. But I would sooner see a guy lose because of bad luck than the other guy lose because of a blown call. So good job by all involved here getting it right in the end, and maybe this will inspire every commission everywhere to use replay for any televised fight where there are cameras and and replays can be accessed. The goal should always be to get the call right. Um, As for Eubank and Smith, I'll just note, I saw some interesting quotes from Roy Jones, who's training Eubank. Um, He said that he's training Eubank to be able to beat the likes of Canelo or Triple G, not to beat a guy like Liam Smith. Uh, Basically said Eubank has too much talent to lose to a guy like Liam Smith. Now, maybe that's just Roy talking, but if we take it at face value, it would indicate they're kind of overlooking Liam Smith. And that would be a mistake. Um, I do favor Eubank here, but Smith is certainly a live dog. I'm seeing odds of about plus 180 or so on Smith. That sounds about right to me. Mm -hmm. All right. uh, Lastly, some sad news. Jerry Katsia, a heavyweight contender and briefly titleist, died in South Africa at the age of 67. Kutseya won an alphabet strap on his third try, shocking Michael Dokes in 1983 after falling short against John Tate and Mike Weaver. Uh, Kieran, your thoughts on Jerry Kutseya? So obviously Kutseya was active most of the time anyway, long before I was in any way involved in boxing. Um, Although after being flattened by Frank Bruno inside around in 86, which seemed to be the end of his career, um, he came back seven years later for a pair of wins before retiring again in 1997. Um, could see it generally lost to the better opposition of his time for Belter Tate, Weaver, and Ronaldo Snipes before stopping Dokes, only to lose by a knockout to Greg Page in his first defense. Um, it's impossible to discuss Kutsia's career without the abomination of apartheid. It's one of the many disgraces on boxing's ledger that his challenges of both Tate and Weaver were held in that country, even as the rest of the world was turning its back on South Africa and isolating it. Um, but South African authorities were so desperate for the Tate fight to happen because they wanted their white South African to dethrone the black man that they bowed to promoters' demands to allow, gasp, black and white people to sit in the same sections. Um, the thing is, though, what's interesting, because was no fan of apartheid at all, and he spoke out against it regularly and used his position as one of the country's golden boys to do that. And boxing fan Nelson Mandela would listen to radio broadcasts of his fights from his jail in Robben Island. And shortly after his release, one of his first requests was to meet Kutsia, who called the meeting the greatest moment in his life. So bless you for that, Jerry Kutsia, and rest yeah. in peace. Yeah. 
We shall conclude this week with the top five list. Uh, last week, Eric, you tasked me with listing the top five ring enter rivers of all time, not necessarily the top five individual ring entrances, but the boxers whose entrances were consistently entertaining, whether because they put on a show or because they became associated with a particular piece of music or, or some other reason. And um, I did for this challenge, Eric, what I have not done for quite some time. As James Kirk said when he explained, how he became the only cadet in Starfleet to defeat the Kobayashi Maru, I changed the conditions of the test. Okay. You might say, I cheated. <laughs> yes, I have two ties in my top five, Eric. Wow. And I know how much you love it when I do that, but you will understand why. Uh, all right. Well, I, we'll, we'll, we'll see if I come away understanding why. For now, I'm viewing you as that judge who goes all 12 rounds and scores them each 10-10, you loser. <laughs> I'm sick. You have to be nice to me. I'm COVID's bitch. I guess so. All right, yeah. fine. Well, let's, let's let's see how it plays out. All right. Uh, my tie for number five is Gennady Golovkin and Anthony Joshua. And they're bound together here because their entrances are both indelibly associated with the same piece of music, Seven Nation Army by the White Stripes. Um, their entrances are generally very different. Golovkin's very straightforward, always wearing his trademark Kazakh robe, whereas Joshua's tend to be much more grandiose with more fireworks and whatnot, not least because AJ tends to fight in large outdoor arenas. Right. Um, being ringside when Joshua made his entrance at Wembley to fight Vladimir Klitschko is not something I will very soon forget. And Golovkin's entrances during those years when he was just smashing his way through the middleweight division, they always really electrify the atmosphere in whatever venue he was fighting in. So they're my number five. <laughs> All right, uh, both valid choices, and I see why you grouped them together. I can kind of live with it. Uh, I, I had them. I didn't put a whole ton of careful thought into my exact order, but I did still try to come up with a top five, and uh, they were both like just outside of it for Fair me. Enough. But for, certainly, uh, strong choices, and uh, yeah, Seven Nation Army. Um, I, I, I feel like. I'm not sure which of them used it first. I guess probably Triple G, but whoever I did, so. um, I feel like they were ahead of the curve on, like, now you hear it at every sporting event to get yeah. the crowd chanting. I, I feel like boxing was the first sporting event where I heard uh, that tune used. Yes, indeed. Um, and the other tie is for fourth place. Okay. Uh, and I think this is also acceptable. Uh, it's the Klitschko brothers. Okay. Uh, it's another case of a boxer having a particular identifiable piece of ring entrance music. Vitaly had ACDC's Hell's Bells, as did another boxer you know quite well, I seem to recall. Um, and Vladimir had Can't Stop by Red Hot Chili Peppers. And they incorporated them into entrances that were elaborate and spectacular. Who can ever forget Vladimir's entrance to his bout with David Hay, featuring right. the likes of George Foreman and Lennox Lewis. And yet, somehow, simultaneously classy and refined and badass and you knew at the end of it that a badass ukrainian was on his way to the ring so uh math geek that i am i uh, i now take an issue just because uh Kl the klitschko's then were tied for fourth and fifth and triple ah, g and nice. aj are outside your top five uh, so okay. uh Fair you enough. Know. um but uh so i actually I have Vladimir on my list and don't have Vitaly. Um, I guess just I had forgotten that Vitaly even sort of had a trademark song, whereas I, I knew off the top of my head that Klitschko used, uh, uh, that Vladimir used Can't Stop. Um, if you were trying to suggest, a, if you with your hint that uh, someone else used Hell's Bells, uh, I think you may be thinking of a different ACDC song if you're thinking, ah, of, okay. if you're thinking of Thunderstruck. Oh, that's um, but, Thunderstruck. But the thing about ACDC, and I can say this as a guy who was never a big-time ACDC fan, that they're fine or whatever, 
it's all of their songs can all be confused for each other. You hear the riff, you know it's ACDC. <laughs> it always takes a while to f- remember which ACDC song you're listening to. Uh, so that's fine. But yeah, I didn't quite have Vitaly on my list. I prefer uh, the entrances of, of Vladimir. Um, I mean, his entrances were were great and would help to uh, distract you from the likely boredom to follow once the bell rang. So. Right. Indeed. And I was going to just mention Vladimir, and then um, JL, at JLR Pro uh, sent us a note sort of mentioning that uh, the, the, the brothers actually had some good entrances, and I went and found some Vitaly ones, and I thought, yeah, what the hell. All right, no more ties from here. Good. No more ties. Glad to I hear. went to see ACDC in concert once, by the How way. How was that? I, had, uh, I, was, I had ringing in my ears for two days. <laughs> And it had loud music, cannons, and a giant inflatable woman. So it had everything you really want. Right. Perfect. Exactly. And uh, one and one guitar riff uh, on 20 different songs. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, number three, I put Nassim Hamed. Um, I feel like he was the one who made spectacular ring entrances a thing. And not just like occasionally, but as a regular feature of, uh, of entering the ring. And whether it was entering on a flying carpet or through a graveyard on Halloween, which gave the British commentators conniptions, um, or dancing forever behind a screen <laughs> while yes. you were ringside uh, before facing Kevin Kelly. He put on a show, completing his entrance with a backflip over the top rope, except when he didn't against Marco Antonio Barrera. Right. It was over the top at times, and it was arrogant perhaps, but it was always a show. All right, so now I'm, I'm curious who you have in the in the top two. I think I know one of them, but I don't know the other. Um uh, just because when I, as I sort of started breaking this down, you know, I had said last week, you know, Hamed, yeah, he's got to be top five, but he's not necessarily number one. I'll be curious to see where he lands for you. I don't know. I I, I landed on he's got to be number one, uh, for, mm-hmm. uh, but um, maybe influenced by the fact that I was there for some of these, the the Kelly fight, which was which was a botched entrance, not at all what it was supposed right. to be, but it was memorable as hell, just the same. And the other one I was there for was the Halloween entrance against Wayne McCulloch. Oh, you uh, were, okay. yeah. Um, and then you, uh, yeah, you add in that flip over the top rope and all that. He's he's number one for me. But so now I'm curious which uh, which two you've got ahead of Hamed. I almost did have him as number one as well, but um, but we'll see. Uh, number two is another Brit, and it's Ricky Hatton. Um, okay. There wasn't always a lot of stagecraft to Hatton's entrances, although he did once wear a fat suit to the ring yes. in reference to his nickname, Ricky Fatton. Oh, but my God, a Ricky Hatton entrance. And the same way, I think, I'm somewhat affected by the fact that I was there for a few Ricky Hatton uh, entrances. Once the cause of Blue Moon started and his supporters began belting it out in full cry, Oh, man, oh, man. That was an experience to have. Uh, those Vegas nights against Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao didn't end too well for him, but what nights they were. Yeah. Anything that gets tens of thousands of drunk Brits singing along <laughs> is going to be a good entrance. Um, and yeah, you're, the the Ricky Fatten one was, was fantastic. The Blue Moon song was perfect. I had him as, as my number five. Um, so, okay. uh, and yeah, I can see him, uh, see you uh, putting him all the way up there right near the top. A number one... I went in a completely different direction, and I myself was not ringside for any of his bouts until his, except for his very, very last one. Yep. You know where I'm going, don't I you? I do. I do indeed. The ring entrances were the opposite of all the others. No flash, no specific theme music, no dancing, no sequined robes, sometimes barely any music at all. That's because he didn't need all of that, because the menace he carried was enough to electrify the crowd. I am, of course, talking about Mike Tyson, the towel instead of the robe, the black shoes, the glower. And I feel like he was probably one of the first 
you know, certainly big time boxes to really embrace entrance music by rappers like DMX, which just felt like a really good match for the whole, yeah. for the whole Tyson thing. Um, I've been really fortunate in the fights I've been able to witness, the fights I've been ringside for, but damn, I wish I could have experienced the Mike Tyson ring entrance and fight in his pump. Yeah, I, he's, I had him at number two, uh, the, the ultimate case of less is more. Uh, yeah. with, with Dyson. So yeah, not a lot to add beyond that. It's uh, completely different than all the others, but has to be considered among the iconic ring enterers. Right. Um, and I just had a couple of honorable mentions. Um, Floyd Mayweather, who during the superstar phase of his career, always extended the entertainment rally to the ring entrance. He had this great one um, for before his fight with Shane Mosley, featuring the OJs. And there were people walking on stilts, as I recall, and fake money being thrown into the crowd. That will always be one of my favorites. A little nod to Bernard Hopkins, who, who you know, would periodically have uh, ring entrances that if unspectacular, um, had a certain something about them, whether yeah. it was wearing his mask or walking out to my way. And I wouldn't have thought about this had we not been tweeted by at Tracy Adebea. But Jared Big Baby Anderson, despite yeah. being in the early stages of his career, already has quite the selection of ring entrances to, to look back on. Uh, a few years from now, uh, he could well be atop a list like this. Yeah, uh, the, those guys were, were mostly among some of the ones I thought of as well. And the only one in my top five that you haven't mentioned, um, but it's just personal bias mostly for me. And he was sort of side mentioned, the the Thunderstruck guy. Um, no big theatrics for Arturo Gatti, but that that Thunderstruck song, sometimes combined with the Rocky theme, he would the, uh-huh. uh, there was at least once or twice that they merged those together and just those crowds in Atlantic City eating it up. I, I have a particular soft spot for those Gatti ring entrances. Um, and then the I have two others that you haven't mentioned. Um, one is uh, Chris Eubank, who was simultaneous oh, to Hamed cool. basically and, yeah. and but I would say he was like the, the poor man's Nassim Hamed of, yeah. of same, same era but you know simply the best had a good theme song that was memorable um, and then the other one I, I include Manny Pacquiao on this. Just yeah, sort of, I wondered about that. Yeah, it's the, with him. It's uh, he didn't always use this song, but he used it a few times at least. You're the best around from the Karate yeah. Kid. Great song to come out to, and just combine that with his giant smile, and it was yeah. a memorable ring entrance. Yeah, yeah, no problem with that at all. I actually, I, I do want to bring attention though to a, just a couple of quick contenders for all time worst, and get your oh, reaction yes. on these. Good, good. <laughs> um, for a single fight entrance. Fernando Vargas punching his way through fake foam bricks before the Trinidad fight really stands out as just a, a horrible ring entrance. And uh, and I have to give worst ring enterer of all time to John Ruiz, who entered to the Billy Joel song about Vietnam, uh, Goodnight Saigon. It's slow. It's depressing. I don't get who would want to come out to the ring to that. But I, I guess it, it kind of set, set the tone for the fight to follow most of the time. Yeah. So. There is also one I almost like uh, uh, DM'd it to you. I don't know if you've seen it. There was um, a British fighter who I think had no career at all. I think he was called Usman Ahmed. And he oh, no. tried to do the Prince thing. And he there was this one fight where he was dancing to the ring. And he looked kind of ridiculous doing it. He was a skinny little little guy. And he had this big um a uh, necklace uh, around his you know with his name on it and he right. was dancing all the way to the ring and and sort of acting super arrogant and promptly got knocked out nice it's, there, 
There's a famous oh. USA Tuesday night fight. Was it Anthony Hembrick who also like had a whole flamboyant dance routine and then quickly got knocked out? So yeah, when you do the flamboyant ring entrance, you, you really got to be able to back it up. You really do. You yeah. really do. But that's why we're always so calm and casual with the uh, entrances to our podcast. Yes, we we uh, set the bar low at the beginning. That's right. No, no, no high expectations for us. Just expect <laughs> something passable, and that's what we'll deliver. You know, that could be if we should actually do merchandise and that should be like no high expectations. <laughs> right. right. All right, let's print those up. Indeed. Uh, that will do it for this week's episode of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. We'll be back next week, hopefully COVID-free, with a recap of Friday's Showbox card. Until then, thanks for listening. Be safe, be kind, and be well. <laughs>